Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. I am so glad to be back behind this microphone. It has been such a long time that I've spoken to you fine people. I really missed it. I really missed you guys. I really missed doing the podcast. I've just had such a busy, busy couple of months ever since the the episode I had with Steve Scott. I had intended to do another recording before I moved. But it just didn't happen because something came up with work. It was so re- it was really bad too. You know, I was all set to do this interview, and I'm talking about podcast interview, and it was going to be the day before I flew out to Baltimore to visit my mother, who I had not seen in a couple of years. So I had a plan set up for the evening, and that morning at work, I'm being told by my boss that that I needed to be available to be be able to test some some software that it, it was really a very insignificant piece of software but I didn't understand why there was so much pressure for me for for, for not only the developer to finish doing the coding on it but for me to actually do the testing on it so I had cleared my schedule I had to cancel that interview because I fully expected to be testing you know, well into the late hours in the night because I was leaving early that next morning to go to Baltimore. So the work didn't get done and I basically wasted an evening waiting around for nothing. And that was a Wednesday night. And then I, I come to find out Friday morning, the company that I worked for laid off a bunch of people and that included one of the developers that was working on this insignificant project. So I was like, oh, no wonder why there was such a push to get this thing out. This 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 thing for that, that it just didn't even make sense. It was like, I don't even know how to describe it. Just think of think of your job and think about the, the least important part of that job. And then all of a sudden your boss telling you how important that part of the job is and that you must get it done at all costs before you leave for the night. Kind of like one of those things, only to find out later that it really wasn't all that important. It was just trying to cover their rear end. So anyway, enough of that. I am happy to be back behind the microphone to talk all things judo, to talk some things Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and to talk about whatever it is I want to talk about because it's been a long time. So I got to bring this up. I normally I have not been talking about pop culture type stuff for a while on the podcast I I decided to phase that out and keep it strictly to judo but I needed to talk about two things real quick that um it's too big and too important for me to just completely ignore because a lot of you people out there actually liked uh when I talked about pop culture type stuff so I'm just going to give it a nod I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it uh first things first Avengers Endgame. Now, I'm not going to give away any of the movie here, but I just wanted to say that, you know what? After 11 years and 22 movies, this is what you're going to give me? This is this is a story that you guys decided to go with for Endgame. I was... Look, I like the movie. Don't get me wrong. I, if I were to give it a, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd give it a solid 7. I, I don't know if there's uh, any such thing as a liquid seven or an unsolid seven, but I give it a seven. It was it, some of the special effects and the fight scenes were just over the top phenomenal. But I don't know the story itself. I, I can't give it away here because I'm not going to ruin it for people. But 
For those of you who have seen it, just think of the major plot device in that movie. And my feeling was when I left that theater, I was like, man, that's the direction they went with this? And no, I'm not going to go on YouTube to watch some geek, you know, break down an endgame in, in a way that just goes way over the top and tries to explain it with irrational you know, theories and science and all this kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not going to watch those videos. I, I watched that movie as a spectator, just as a guy that just wants to sit there and enjoy the latest offering. And I left the theater a little disappointed. I got to say, I got to say it. I, I did. It was, it was a good movie, but just not great. And the second thing that I wanted to bring up, of course, Game of Thrones is back. And as of this recording, there's only two more episodes remaining. And again, for me, it's been a good season. It was. It hasn't been a great season, in in my opinion. I mean, there was that one scene where a Starbucks coffee cup was uh, was on the table after they won their big battle. That was that was hilarious. That was awesome. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'll be curious to see how they wrap everything up in two episodes. It seems like every episode this season has been the length of a of a short movie, about an hour and twenty minutes long, and. It's It's been good TV, don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I'm still waiting for that one scene where, you know, where you had that sense of satisfaction. Like, for example, when Jon Snow finally killed, uh, uh, what was his name? Ramsey Bolton, that's right. When, when, when Jon Snow killed Ramsey Bolton. Now, look, if I just spoiled it for you, well, too bad. That happened a couple of years ago. So when Jon Snow killed Ramsey Bolton, that, there was a sense of satisfaction and I'm I'm still kind of waiting for that. I, I, I feel like this show is going to end with a not-so-happily-ever-after. That's just going to be my guess. I'll be curious to hear this uh, a couple weeks from now when I uh, finally see the last episode. So. Um, so that's it for the pop culture stuff. Something I wanted to bring up as well. Um, I, over the past couple of months, uh, or really six weeks or so, I've been in the process of a big move. I have finally made it to my new home, the new home of Jito Chopsui World Headquarters. But I wanted to make note that I am still trying to fine-tune the acoustics of this room. My setup right now is is really great. If you follow me on Instagram, I got a picture of it. Um... But it's not ideal for acoustics just yet. I've got a setup that um, I feel that I need to improve on just the way that this room is. It's my man cave. It's where I play my video games, where I play guitar. It's where I do my recording. And I love it up here. This house is amazing. It's got a view of a lake. I, I, I get to see some snapping turtles and some ducks fly around and poop in my yard. I mean, who? what more can I ask for? So, um... It's a it's a great house. I'm really glad to be here. I'm really glad to be out of that other house, which was just for me personally on a daily basis. The commute was a nightmare and I've shaved off about 40 minutes off of my commute. So I'm very, very happy about that. But I do acknowledge that the acoustics on this podcast on this episode is not as ideal as I would like it to be. I don't I don't strive for perfection because I'm too cheap to spend that kind of money and be in a professional recording studio. But I, at least over the past year or so, I managed to fine-tune the acoustics in my other room, uh, which was really my son's room, and and I always was pleased with the quality of the audio of the podcast. It's going to take me a little while to get it just right here, but please stand by. I'm, I'm doing the best that I can uh, with the amount of time and resources that I have, but 
that doesn't take away from the content of this hideous podcast. So <laughs> hopefully you guys will enjoy it. Now that reminds me, uh, before I get into the judo related news and stuff i wanted to announce that i was a guest on another podcast called the more than ordinary podcast which is hosted by dr Anne maria demars it was probably the first time i have ever been a guest on somebody else's podcast actually i know that's the first time and i had a really good time it was it was an enjoyable conversation we were probably talking for about an hour or so i'm not sure how much of that actual conversation she's going to put on the episode, probably maybe two minutes where I talk about my podcast and what I do, and then that she cuts us short. So <laughs> I don't know yet, but but it was a great conversation, and we touched on a variety of topics. We, um, we touched on the current state of judo in the United States. Uh, we talked about uh, about JudoCon, the the one that was you know last year in November, and the one upcoming in California. Uh, we also talked about a little bit about how I do uh, recording and how I find time to record and stuff and and my process on how I do a lot of editing and things like that. So, Anne Maria, if you're listening to this, everything you heard up to this point uh, before I started talking about your, your podcast, I recorded like a week ago. So it's kind of like a, this is how I talked about when I piecemeal things. This is... Uh, one of those examples, so it's if you want to call it a time warp or something like that, going back and forth between time and things like that. You know, it's just a jump to the left. You put your hands on your hips. Yeah, and just for the record, the time warp is probably the only dance that I can do um, and not screw up. <laughs> I can't even do the Humpty dance properly. <laughs> Anybody remember that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really dating myself, so... Gosh, I, I haven't seen Rocky Horror in, in a very, very long time. It's, it's been... Uh, gotta be at least 10 years. You know, the other day I was watching The Warriors because I was bored and I had nothing to do, and the wife and kids were upstairs in my man cave, so I kind of felt uh, I had to get away from everybody, so I decided to go in my bedroom and watch The Warriors again. I haven't seen that movie in, like, gosh, like at least 20 25 years or so it's a good movie i forgot how good it was it was uh pretty cool anyway that that's enough of the time warp i'm gonna fade this thing out and, and continue on with this podcast only only on the judo chop suey podcast can i combine talk about judo and the rocky horror picture show so there you go now on this episode of the judo chop suey podcast i quite haven't decided what i'm going to talk about but i'm going to wing it I know I'm definitely going to cover some judo news that I've wanted to cover over the past couple of months. Big news coming out of Brazil as of the time of this recording. The Baku Grand Slam is going to be coming up. I will probably review that on this episode. But as you guys know, I, I piecemeal episodes, I piecemeal segments. So I may get to a formal review at the end. And if I don't, I'm just going to delete this entire section. You'll never hear it. I'm also going to talk about this really horrendous story uh, that I that I read on Reddit on the judo subreddit and and I'm gonna springboard that into another discussion on how I think judo is not doing a good enough job in the United States when it comes to uh, reaching out to adults and adults beginning students I, I think once again this story is just one story in a myriad of stories that I could tell you and share with you about how in some clubs, in some places, 
adults are treated like second-class citizens, and I, I don't like it, and I, I, I think you're going to, at least some of you are going to appreciate my point of view, maybe not, but um, but it's something that I want to talk about, and um, yeah, really a terrible story. So before I get into any of all that, um, ladies and gentlemen, I've got breaking news. So there's something that I want to read on the IGF website that I was just made aware of a few hours ago. And the headline says, Historic Agreement Reached by IJF and Iran. Let's see. The, the article states, After having witnessed on several occasions of recent history a disturbing phenomenon, which involves the sudden, quote-unquote, injury or failure of weigh-in of Iranian athletes, phenomenon which is linked by many observers to the possible obligation of the given athletes to compete against certain countries, namely Israel, the International Judo Federation decided to step up in order to protect the rights of athletes to fair competition. So at the moment, as I'm reading this, this isn't in a, a, exactly an article per se, but I'm going to read as much as I can read here um, the, the, well, what the article says. The following several exchanges and discussions with the Iranian Sports Ministry, Olympic Committee, and Judo Federation. The IJF is pleased to announce that it received a favorable response uh, pardon for my voice crack there, a favorable response and commitment from the Iranian side. For reference, please find the attached letter. Now, the attached letter is from, let's see, it's uh, the National Olympic Committee of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, let's see, uh, addressed to uh, uh, Dr. Marius Weiser, President of International Judo Federation, uh, says, Dear President, we would like to acknowledge with thanks the receipt of your comprehensive letter uh, dated May 2nd and wish to express my sincere gratitude for the positive attitude you have toward uh, the Iran, Iran judo and the newly elected um, NF president. I'm guessing that's National Federation president. Please rest assured that your considerations are also our concerns and our mutual interests as discussed during our recent meeting in, let's see if I get this right, Fujiara and has brought to the kind attention of the IOC president, Dr. Thomas Bach, in New York and Lausanne. I'm not sure what that is. We would like to restate that our NOC has worked hard in cooperation with the Ministry of Sport and Youth Movement, um, Youth in the Years, to improve the implementation of good governance and the Olympic movement principles among Iranian sports community. And judo is one of those sports which is now in good standing in terms of institutional and competitive stability, with notably increasing popularity among the young Iranian generation. Iran judo has found its growing route toward a quite bright future in a national and international levels in the direction of the objectives and ideals of the International Judo Federation. I agree. Uh, Iran is getting pretty strong. Uh, continuing on, we deeply believe that this end could be accomplished by mutual understanding and patience. By means of this letter, we would like to confirm that the IR Iran NOC shall fully respect the Olympic Charter and its non-discrimination principle, and the IR Iran Judo Federation shall fully comply with the Olympic Charter and the IJF statutes. In the meantime, in, co in collaboration with the IR Iran Ministry of Sports and Youth, we are sparing no efforts in negotiating with the Parliament so that we could identify the proper legal resolutions. Thank you very much for your support. Now, I know I haven't touched on this issue in a while, in certainly a couple of podcasts, because my last two episodes were 
interview episodes and the episode before that. I believe it was uh, when I co-hosted with Judo Joe. Um, so I and I know it's been a while since I've released a new episode. So here, here's a story in case you've forgotten. So it has not gone uh, gone unnoticed by myself and others that uh, Iranian athletes have been avoiding competition against Israeli athletes, and this was fully on display with uh, uh, current world champion in the under eighty one kilo division, Saeed Molai, who is just a fantastic judoka. He lost um, several months ago a match, and it looked like he deliberately lost that match because he was on a collision course to compete against Sagi Muki of Israel. And this is not the first time that uh, Saeed Molai and other Iranian athletes have done this, have taken basically taken the fall to uh, avoid competing against your, in, in Israeli and look, I mean, I think that's ridiculous. And I'm sorry, I don't want to hear about any anti-Israeli rhetoric either. Because look, all countries, or there are many countries out there that have issues with other countries. And we don't see this happening with other countries. And I, I, I don't want to hear any emails or comments about how this happens all the time and yada, yada, yada. There is an anti-Israeli bias. We've seen it uh, uh, with Iranian athletes. We have seen it with... Um, with uh, Abu Dhabi, the, the Abu Dhabi Grand Slam and their refusal to play Israel's national anthem, I, I, I just think that's BS. And that spirit of discrimination is, is against the ideals and principles of judo and, and, and the IJF charter. It, it just is, and it's unacceptable. But all of that being said, I, I got to hand it to, to uh, Marius Weiser here because for all the crap that he gets... Uh, from a lot of people out there about the judo rules and stuff, which, by the way, just as a reminder, you know, those rule changes about leg grabs and stuff, that's that's those decisions are made by a committee of people and, and they are made by a committee of people whose names would probably surprise you. But of course, at the, as the face of the International Judo Federation, he he's the one that takes the the brunt of the criticism. Um, but I got to say, as a diplomat, he is fantastic, and he has to navigate issues that are not easy to navigate. You know, when it comes to ensuring that Israel's national anthem is played in 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 all venues that the International Judo Federation World Tour uh, competes in, uh, namely Abu Dhabi, and then of course dealing, you know, the, the the challenge of dealing with Iran, the challenge of dealing with North Korea. And, and and striving to get a unified Korea competing on the same mat, which is which in of itself is historic. And look, I'll be the first to say there's a lot that the IJF I, I, I don't agree with in what they do. There's a lot that I think they get wrong when it comes to judo and, and its growth. But but there's a lot that they get right. And this was a critical issue that they have to get done. Because think of it this way. And I know I brought this up before and I and I, I gotta give credit where credit is due. I, I I had heard this initially, which which it's a valid uh, concern. You know, listening to the original judo podcast months ago, they had come up with express. They had expressed concerns of a possible scenario that could actually happen in the Olympics. So, for example, their example was, well, what if Saeed Molai of Iran and Sagi Muki of of Israel end up in the under uh, under 81 kilo finals for the gold medal match at the Olympics next year. I mean, 
the way things were going, we may not have an under 81 kilo gold medal match if that were to happen. And if that happened, judo would make worldwide news for all of the wrong reasons. And we certainly don't want to see that on, on the biggest stage of sports. So once again, kudos to the IJF for getting this situation handled for the time being. And look, to be perfectly clear, I do not blame the, the, Iranian, the, the Iranian athletes. I don't, um, I don't think it's their fault. I don't think they're making these decisions on their own. And I'd be willing to bet that Saeed Molai probably has no issue competing against Sagi Muki or any Israeli. But unfortunately for him, in, in some of these countries out there, maybe not necessarily Iran, but or, or maybe it is. I mean, could his family be in jeopardy if he decides to compete against an Israeli? I mean, could could his life be in jeopardy if he decides to compete against an Israeli? I mean, we all know the opposite wouldn't happen. No Israeli is going to get his life threatened for competing against a Saudi or competing against an Iranian or, or, or anybody, any other country in the Middle East that has a, a political issue with, uh, with Israel. So we all know the opposite's not true. So, so and, and, and just to be clear, we all know, given the reaction of, of Saeed Molai in, in, the, uh, in his last loss when, when he decided, well, he didn't decide. In his last loss, he was very, very upset for having to take a dive to avoid fighting an Israeli. He was visibly upset in that match. So we all know that it's not him making this decision. He's not out there making a political stand against Israel. This is coming from higher up. And he must have, there must, would, is likely very serious ramifications if he were to fight an Israeli. So, again, this is very explosive and dangerous political waters that the IJF and Marius Visor have had to navigate through. And it looks like they've been successful in doing so. So, again, congratulations to everybody involved and, and credit to, to the president of the Iranian Judo Federation for, for working with various government officials to get this letter sent and to get this commitment. It's good for Iran. It's good for Israel. It's good for the International Judo Federation. And, and this is the only result that would have been acceptable. All right. Now, moving along, um, I want to talk about another news item that's no longer breaking news, but it's still a big deal. So about a month ago, it was announced that Brazil uh, was awarded a Grand Slam. Uh, uh, Brasilia 2019, uh, a Grand Slam event that's going to be taking place, uh, let's see, taking place in on October 6th through the 8th. This is tremendous news, and I'm very happy to see that Brazil, a powerhouse country uh, for competitive judo, is getting a Grand Slam. And my goodness, they deserve it. Now, I read this story on the IJF site about a month ago. It says the Brazilian Judo Confederation, which last hosted the 2013 World Championships in Rio de Janeiro, has a long and storied tradition in the sport as one of judo's leading nations and are celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. Brazil hosted the fourth edition of the World Judo Championships in 1965 and held subsequent editions in 20, uh, 2007 and 2013 in the same city. The South American nation also staged a Grand Slam in Rio from 2009 to 2012 and the World Team Championships in Salvador de Bahia in 2012. Uh, Brasilia will join Paris, Dusseldorf, Ekaterinburg, Baku, Abu Dhabi, and Osaka 
as Grand Slam host cities as the IGF reaches a record of seven Grand Slam events for 2019. Boy, this calendar is really full. And I know that uh, later on this summer, we're going to have the the uh, the Grand Prix up in Montreal and in, in uh, I think it's going to be in July and we also have the Cancun Grand Prix so now we've got three world tour events on this side of the world and by this side of the world I'm talking about you know the uh, the western hemisphere so I don't know how much of an advantage this is for countries in 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 on this side of the world I I, I would imagine the tr- the the transportation and travel is easier, albeit not maybe necessarily cheaper because I was kind of looking at at flights. How much would it cost for me to go to Rio? It's pretty expensive. It's not really uh, that much cheaper than flying to Japan or flying to other cities. But I I would venture to guess that being within an hour of the same time zone is is important so or or helpful. So this side of the world needs it. and, And this is great for Team USA. And for Team Canada and for for Brazil and, and other countries on Cuba and, and Puerto Rico and Mexico and and so many other countries on this side of the world that they don't have to travel 13, 15, 17 hours to these tournaments across the across the ocean. Um, and they, they've got one practically right in their backyard. And, and Brazil certainly deserves it. As the article stated, they've been a powerhouse for, for many years and, and so strong that I wish that Team USA would, would get together with the, with the CBJ and, and, and figure out what they're doing right and, and copy what they're doing and do that in the United States. Because, I, I mean, Brazil's got it figured out because they, they have the same challenges in terms of travel probably in terms of costs so maybe Brazil's uh, uh, the, the Brazilian team is funded a lot better than team USA uh, by by the government I, I don't know I'm not gonna pretend to know but even apart from all of that Br- Brazil has it figured out on how to win uh, on the highest levels of competitive judo and for some reason at this moment seems like the golden era for for team USA is over and done with. And unfortunately, given how the Katets has been performing recently, there's unfortunately doesn't look like that's going to be changing anytime soon. I want to talk about a story that I read on Reddit a couple of weeks ago. And the reason why I want to bring this up touches on an issue with judo that I have observed in the United States. And this is going to be me rehashing an old take, an old uh, opinion of mine. Maybe it's maybe my opinions have changed a little bit, but this is going to be one of those subjects where I have just really, it, it really frustrates me when I hear one of these stories. And, and, and this is something that I read on the Judo subreddit, which is a discussion forum for all things Judo. And it's the, it's probably the most popular and largest English-based uh, judo discussion forum on the internet. I I would have to believe it's got about uh, twenty thousand subscribers, and these subscribers represent judoka and enthusiasts from all over the world, uh, but largely the United States and certainly some in the UK and and Australia and and some in other countries where English is not the primary language, but some of those guys use the forum as a means to improve upon their their English, at least uh, written English, and and we all have a great discussion most of the time. As of late, 
some of the posts have been a little bit out of hand when it comes to stupid memes and and reposts. Like, uh, for example, I'm sure many of you guys have seen that video of the machete attack and the guy does a a perfect Sayanagi after when, when the assailant attacks the police officer with a, with a machete. It turns out that was just a drill that didn't happen in real life, but that video seemingly got posted at least 10 times within the first week. So we get a lot of that, but we also get much more uh, solid judo discussion. And, and it's a great place that I hang out. I always check it every day. Sometimes I contribute uh, not as much as I have in the past, but I, I do. And I, I tend to get, uh, my posts tend to get downvoted quite a bit because I don't I don't really sugarcoat things when when, <laughs> when I post or, or, or respond to certain questions and things like that. But that's okay. I, I'm, I'm speaking honestly, just like I always do on this, on this uh, podcast. So Moving on to the story, I I, I want to read this story and then really really express my disgust at this because this is a I won't go as far as saying it's a common story, but but I think the the prevailing attitudes and and maybe some ignorance out there when it comes to judo instructors and and certain sensei is really breathtaking to me. So. I'm going to go ahead and read the story and then I'll, I'll, I want to comment on this afterwards. So here's the subject of the post that I saw on Reddit. Went to first judo class and my knee is destroyed. Been going to BJJ for a little over a year. No problems or major injuries. Decide to check out my small local judo club. While doing speed drills, we weren't doing where we weren't doing full fit-ins my partner who was a yellow belt uh he was a lefty and and i was a righty he did his 10 fit-ins which he doesn't know what that is it's in judo it's called uchikomi so they were doing 10 fit-ins for osotogari uh, not touching my left leg on number 10 or 11 he wraps his leg around my knee kind of like a reap around the upper upper knee and hooks around the calf Then he applies pressure sideways, and boom, I collapsed. I just sat on the floor with my eyes closed, wondering why did I even walk in the door. I started to feel like it was done purposely because I wore my only gi, which has my BJJ school patches on it. I asked before class if it was okay to wear it because I didn't want to be disrespectful. Sat out a bit after the collapse, but came back and took some throws on the crash pad. Instructor asked me to try an Osotogari on him, and when I went to sweep with my right leg and stand on the left leg, I collapsed again. I'm just ranting right now because I don't know what to feel. I feel like I have a major injury to my knee, and I pray it wasn't purposely done because I showed complete respect to everyone there. Just an overall bad night. I wish I just would have stayed home. Now, in a follow-up post... Um, three weeks later, it turns out that he found out that he's got an ACL tear, a a complex meniscus tear, an MCL level one sprain, and a fracture above and below the knee. Now, here is why this story really bothers me. And to be clear, I confirmed that this is a club in the United States. Yes, I know the United States is a pretty big place. But there aren't a whole heck of a lot of judo clubs out there. Uh, he he didn't he declined to reveal what club uh, this was at, and 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 that's un, that's fine, and I understand that. But whoever the sensei is of this club, shame on you. I mean, you cannot 
No instructor should allow beginners to work with each other because beginners just don't know any better. And this fellow, from what I gathered, just just look briefly looking at his profile, he's somebody in his mid-30s, and it wouldn't shock me or surprise me at all that the person he was working with was probably a guy in his late 20s or early 30s, you know, just another adult, another uh, you know, an, another beginner, and and that's fine. Look, everybody, every black belt in judo was a beginner at one point, and many of them were beginners as adults, uh, myself included. And you know, I have seen this happen. Not not so much the injury, but beginners being paired up with other beginners, and I just think that is completely inexcusable. That should never happen, especially to somebody who is who. This was their first day. And you're going to put that guy with a yellow belt that doesn't know. I mean, a yellow belt knows nothing. They're, they're just a white belt with, with that just been around a little while. They don't they don't have good judo. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable to me that you're going to put a, a, a first day judoka, uh, uh, you know, a, a first day visitor with a yellow belt practicing Osotogari left versus right. I mean, somebody should have stepped in there. You know, when when I run judo classes, which isn't very often, I make sure I, I pair advanced students with beginner students because advanced students, they're not going to allow beginner students to do something on them where they're going to risk their own injury. And an advanced student is not going to do uchikome or nagikome on beginners in a way that is going to injure them. But, but a, a yellow belt is not going to know any different. And I mean, you know, the bottom line is that be, is that judo instructors and sensei out there, they, they have to protect the, the, their adult students. And they can't treat them like, like disposable people that, you, you know, oh, oh, man, it sucks that you got injured. Oh, oh, well, you know, we'll just keep doing class and, you know, whatever. And look, I get it that injuries happen in judo, but... What happened in this story is is negligent to, at best and just just downright ignorant and disrespectful at worst. You you just can't put beginners with each other and and allow them to go. And I don't you know I don't like beginners, people that really don't know what they're doing, even doing rondori. And you know you know the thing is what what upsets me the most is because. I was once the guy that caused injuries. If you can believe that, little old five foot seven, hundred forty-five pound me, I was a guy that caused injuries to other people. Because when I started in my, you know, when I was started, I was in, I was thirty-one years old, but I had the fitness level and certainly energy and athleticism of somebody who was twenty-one when I started. So I, I was bouncing all over the place. I just, I was relentless in my pursuit in learning judo. And when I was younger. I wouldn't go as far as saying that I didn't care, but your safety was was not on the forefront of my mind. The, what was on the forefront of my mind was learning judo, being the best that I can be, and and, and trying to improve as quickly as possible so I could I could get more rank. Because when I first started, that that's all I really cared about. I I wanted to get to the next rank and then the next rank. And there's nothing wrong with that with having goals, but. I was just so single-minded and focused in that way that that I was I was a terror out there. I mean, and and none of the sensei at that club 
really did anything to curtail that. And, and, and conversely, I got paired with people that if it was my club, I would have never paired them with that. I, I've, I'm pretty sure I've told this story before. The very first time I practiced Nage no Kata, we were working on Kata Garuma. And this was like my fifth class. And I got paired with somebody that was six foot four and 250 pounds. I mean, who does that? It's like they didn't care because, well, he's just an adult. He might not stick around. We'll just have him work with this guy. It doesn't matter. He's not going to get it. So, you know, I, I, we'll, we'll worry about everybody else that's more advanced preparing for their belt test. I mean, that that's pretty much what it was. Because In hindsight, that's what it was because when I was there at the time, that's that's exactly how I felt. Like, it didn't matter. And I feel like when instructors and sensei out there, when they pair beginners with each other in this way, to me, it's telling them, well, you don't matter. Because I've got, I've got other students that, that are younger, that are preparing for competitions, that need to work on this stuff. And they need to work with each other. So we'll, we'll just have you guys just pair up and you guys can go off in the corner. And you do your little uchikomi and, and you do your little fit-ins. And it doesn't matter what you guys look like because I'm more focused on other things. That's what that tells me when I hear an instructor pairing beginners with other, with other beginners. And look, maybe that's not the case with everybody. Granted, the, the, the author of this post said that it was a small judo club. But you know what? That's exactly why judo clubs remain small, especially when it comes to adult classes. Because as a whole, adults don't matter in judo. Now, look, I know I'm making a bunch of blanket statements here and I'm painting with a broad brush. I know it's not this way everywhere at every club. I mean, heck, I think AAU judo, judo does a fantastic job with adults and, and growing grassroots judo, grassroots judo through adults. Because the truth of the matter is that an adult that starts judo and sticks with it is far more likely to learn all of judo and far more likely to become Don Rank holders than a kid that starts out at nine years old. You know, the kid might go th stick with it through till till he's through high school, and then he eventually quits. Some of them make it to EQ, and others may make it to Shodan. But but after that, a lot of times they they quit and drop out because well they're not competing because all it was was competition. But for for an adult that starts out, they you know they compete. They desire to learn kata. They desire to learn the history of judo. An adult that starts judo is far more likely to stick with it for the rest of their lives. And the problem to me is that judo as a whole does not try to target adults and grow that segment of the population. And unfortunately, because of that, judo has a stigma with the with you know just common people out there. It's like taekwondo. It's like have have you have you ever met a, a person that does that started Taekwondo as an adult? I never have. And judo tends to have the same stigma out there, whether that's fair or unfair, it, that's just the way it is. And at least in the United States, you know, and conversely with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's quite the opposite. It's it's not sport focused. Of course, there's an avenue for that, just like yeah, there's an avenue for competitive monopoly players. There's an avenue for sport. But, you know, for the most part in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, in my experience in the various clubs that I've been in, and certainly the club that I'm a part of, it's competing is not like the driving thing that, that 
of course they teach the rules, but you know, my instructors, they bring up uh, jujitsu tournaments that are coming up and you know, they they and you know, they make the, the the encouragement that, you know, people should compete if you know, if you want to compete in this and that, but it's not there is there is not this underlying feeling that in order to be a relevant and important member of the club that you need to compete. Now, people that compete tend to get promoted faster as 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 it should be in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I think it should be that way in Judo, but there there are avenues where you don't necessarily have to compete. I once I get over this groin injury, I I, I may I want to compete in a Jiu-Jitsu tournament this year. Um, but, and I may have to do that with this groin injury because this, this damn thing is not going away, but the way that jujitsu classes are being run at my club and at other clubs that I have visited over the past, gosh, 20 years, um, they're doing something right. And, and it shows in their numbers and it's not just a matter of, of taking falls. And I, I think, I think with judo, when it comes to adults that, that, that the teaching, that lessons really should happen from the ground up. I, I, I really think it should be a ground up approach to teaching judo. You know, and, and, and I can't remember who I was telling this to a, a, a couple of weeks ago, but it, this is going to sound like one of my crazy opinions here. But, you know, sometimes in judo, I don't really think a lifelong judo instructor may necessarily be the best person to teach ukemi to a beginner adult because... For that guy, doing ukemi is is like it's as challenging as is touching your nose with your fingertips. It's it's nothing. It's 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 not even a, a second thought. And that's that's how I'm at, of course, right now after doing judo for so long. But you know, in the beginning, or in the beginning, doing ukemi was was a a frightening thing, and and it's that way for most adults. And I think the best person to teach an adult ukemi is somebody that started judo as an adult because they in, they absolutely know how terrifying it can be to to roll over your front shoulder and slap the mat because you know for our entire lives before you walk through that that dojo you've done everything in your life to avoid hitting the ground and and now we're asking you to voluntarily hit the ground that that's a scary proposition. You know, and, and another thing, and, and somebody had asked me a question on my Facebook Messenger, and he, he had asked my opinion on attracting and retaining a, a adult students. And, and, you know, like I, like I just said, I, I really think teaching judo from the ground up would be a good way to start. And, and certainly not making judo a risky proposition as soon as you walk through that door would be an excellent place to start. And, you know, by doing that, don't pair up beginners with other beginners. I mean, that's, that's so freaking ignorant to me. Now, the, the fellow that wrote me also does Brazilian jiu-jitsu and has been doing jiu-jitsu for a while. And he was telling me about, uh, he had visited, I think it was the two-year anniversary or his of his club. or, And, you know, he was talking about the sense of camaraderie that he feels at his jiu-jitsu club that is not quite the same in his judo club. And I thought it was an interesting observation because that is one that I have also noticed myself that, and, and again, guys, I'm not bashing judo. I'm not bashing instructors here, but I'm just talking about my personal experiences uh, with judo in the United States in my local area. 
But I got to say that, you know, that sense of camaraderie that that I certainly feel at my jiu-jitsu club, you know, Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu, it's it's not really there at, at just about any of the judo clubs I've ever been a part at. Now, the club that I spent the most amount of time with, you, you know, a lot of times it was just me and my instructor, uh, Sensei Dave Middendorf, who has since passed. It was just me and him training. So, you know, Dave and I developed a very strong bond and and you know, I loved him like a brother. I, I, I miss him every day. But we had a very small club. You know, sometimes some students would come every once in a while, but it but for the most part it was it it, it was me and Dave and and sometimes his daughter and, and, and sometimes his son and, and that's what that's what it was. So so Dave and I developed a close bond mainly because we were just around each other all the time, you know? But but in other judo clubs that I've been a part at, it's 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 not quite the same. It's not the same as it is in jujitsu. And I, you know, you know, my crappy theory is that you know I think when you when you do a lot of nawaza or, or or you're rolling on the ground and you are constantly being choked out, constantly being armbarred or leg locked, and you you're constantly tapping, you you develop a sense of trust and and bonds that is very unique to Brazilian jiu-jitsu in my opinion. I, I don't I've not experienced those kind of bonds um at, at a judo club and I and I don't think you can develop those kind of bonds in the same way just through Nagekomi and Rondori. And look, I know injuries happen in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I get that. And and they probably happen for adults far more often in judo, but you know, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, or, or just rolling on the ground, you, you know, Nawaza, whatever you want to call it, if something isn't right or you're not sure of what's happening or something hurts, you just tap and the person's going to let go. And when you do that repeatedly, you're going to develop bonds of trust. I mean, we are constantly doing things in class where we are putting our lives in other people's hands. And, you know, if you tap out like a, like a smart person... You're going to be safe. Now, you really can't say the same in judo because there's so many, it's so dynamic and there's so many variables that can happen. Like this, like I told, like the story that I read, that poor fellow just doing, you know, Tenuchikomi and on the, on, on the 11th one, he, 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 he gets a torn ACL and MCL and a fractured knee. I, I mean, I suppose if you were to take every single judoka around the world, knee injuries are fairly rare. But I'm sure that 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 is far more common among adults. And, you know, when it comes to throws, it's hard to gain another adult's trust that you're not going to hurt them badly when you throw them. But the thing is, is that unlike on the ground, if an adult doesn't have good body control while they're being thrown, they can still get injured. And it's not the per it's not the fault of the person doing the throwing. And at my jiu-jitsu club, you know, I, I've, there's been some adults, some older guys, guys, uh, you know, one or two even older than me that have expressed interest in doing judo, but they are concerned about the, uh, uh, you know, about the falls. And I, I tell them, look, you know, if you come to the class, just work with me. I will not have you work with other beginners. And in fact, if we do Rondori, you're going to be the one throwing me. I'm not going to be the one throwing you because... You know, I, I remember having this conversation. I told him, look, I've done enough throwing in my life that I absolutely have nothing to gain by chucking you around for five minutes in Rondori. Nothing to gain. 
And if there's one thing I do really well in judo is that I'm a very good uke. I'm very proud of that fact, by the way. You know, and I also remember, uh, you know, when, when James Wall was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago, yeah, he talked about, you know, beginners that you, you've got to treat them like like a, a little golden nugget that you've got to polish and and treat with absolute care. And, and you know, they're, they're fragile little things that you have to really take care of. And I think that approach when it comes to adults, regardless of their age, is the correct approach. And I think building from the ground up is, is the correct approach. Even if you're a jujitsu guy, you know, if you're, you're a purple belt, brown belt, black belt, you know, start them off on the ground in judo. Show them, you know, you're not going to have to teach them, you, you know, uh, Keisa Gatami or, or Yoko Shiogatami or something like that. But maybe you can teach them, hey, you know, this is what the rules of judo allow you to do and, and what you're not allowed to do. And, and, and we'll work from there, you know, and well, well, well I suppose a, a, a somebody that's a purple belt and up is, is going to have some competition experience. So they would have at least practiced some ukemi. But, you you know, you, a first-day jiu-jitsu guy coming into judo, it should be about ukemi. It should be about showing them what we do in judo and building a sense of familiarity with it. But, you know, you, you like I was talking before, you can't build those bonds of trust if you treat adults like they're disposable. And and I just think that is a common problem. I said that is not everywhere, certainly not with AAU judo. Everything that Steve Scott is doing, everything that James Wall is doing, and everybody associated with AAU judo and cares about grassroots judo, I'm not talking about them. I hope you guys, for you guys that listen, I hope you know I'm not talking about you. But judo as a whole needs to develop a prevailing attitude that judo is for adults. And that it's not a kid's sport like like Taekwondo is. And again, to be clear, I know this show is heard internationally. So I don't know what the prevailing attitudes are like in judo in other countries. But in the United States, it, it, it just seems like the adults don't matter. And, and, and that's my experience. That's been my observation. And I think that's a shame. All right. Well, look, moving along. I know I, I've, I spent a lot of time on this. But I tell you what, that story really, really bugged me. And the worst part is that he'll probably never, ever step into a judo dojo again. All right. Well, I don't think I'm going to get to covering the the Baku Grand Slam like I would have liked to. Um, that would probably take another 20 minutes. And I think I've bored you guys long enough with uh, my ranting and raving about all things judo. Um, but I will cover at some point the... the um, in, in So this is what I'm going to do. in In the next... Now that I have my own recording space, I am really going to shoot for doing an episode once every two weeks. I, I want to get back to that, and I regret um, not being able to do that for you all. It's I mean, gosh, we're going on six weeks already without an episode, and that's, that's not what I intended to do. This isn't one of those slow fades into obscurity. I, I really don't want that to happen. It's just my life has been... Incredi- incredibly busy over the past two years or so really I mean just the commuting and everything with my job and where I was living but but now that's so much more improved got my own space so it's it's going to be a lot easier for me to do recording here and there and um, I am looking forward to getting back to a regular schedule as a matter of fact once I wrap this up today I'm going to start preparing for my next episode so 
we are going to get back to an every two week cycle, even if some of the episodes are shorter than others. Um, and I think that's okay with you guys. So coming up on the next episode, for sure, I will be discussing the whole hot Grand Prix. And that's a good reminder for me because I, I have a, uh, an account with fantasyjudo.com uh, and I've been, I haven't played that game in a while because I've just been so darn busy, but that reminds me, I got to set my lineups on Fantasy Judo. If you guys haven't taken a look at that, I highly suggest that you do. It's a fun way to, you know, there's no money involved, but uh, it's a fun way to get involved with creating a Fantasy Judo team for whatever competition you want to take part of and and when and when you do these kind of fantasy sports types things, you 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 tend to have a more vested interest into the the event of what's going on. So I'm gonna definitely set up a lineup uh, sometime today because I because as of uh, this recording, there's only four more days till the uh, till the whole hot Grand Prix. So I'm gonna get my uh, my lineup set in uh, unless there's surprise withdrawals. Um, I, I believe that everybody that is going to be at that competition or said that's going to be there will be there, uh, maybe with the exception of Teddy Renner. Now, I don't think he said that he's going to be at the whole hot Grand Prix, but I tell you what, he <laughs> he said he's going to be here. He said he's going to be there. And then it's seemingly at the last minute, he just ends up withdrawing from the competition. And again, I don't I know I mentioned this earlier, in, in, certainly in previous episodes. I, I don't know what his deal is. I have to believe he's got to compete at some point because he's currently ranked number 34 in in his weight division, which we all know, you know, somebody that's whatever he is, 137 and 0, uh, you know, on the IJF World Tour, you know, we all know he's much better than ranked number 34. But I tell you what, at some point he's got to compete. I mean, doesn't he need the points for the Olympics? I mean, I would think so. And... I don't know if he just assumes that if he shows up, he's going to win at every competition. But, you know, rust is a real thing. And I, I don't know what his long-term plan is, but he's got to do something. He's He's got to show up somewhere. And I know he's not showing up for the uh, for the World Championships this year. Now, when I saw him do Rondori earlier, uh, this was several months ago, I, he, he looked pretty good. Uh, he certainly didn't look moving around as heavy as I would have guessed he'd look. But again, it was just Ron Dory. And um, I would love to know what his long-term plan is leading up to the Olympics because he's, I don't know, you you got to get out there. I've said it before. You I, I would think. So anyway, if um, I fully expect for Teddy Renner to not be at the whole hot Grand Prix, but plenty of people are, and I'm going to set my lineup later on today and and again, I encourage you guys to visit fantasyjudo.com if you want to take part in it as well. And just as a reminder, there is a hyphen between the fantasy hyphen. So it's fantasy-judo.com uh, because if you go to fantasyjudo.com, you end up on some site that's not safe for work. You can't blame me. I've already warned you. All right, I'm going to blow this popsicle stand. I think it's time for me to wrap things up. I really appreciate it if you made it this far. I, I thank you once again. I thank you for being, for, for many of you out there, being loyal listeners of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. You've certainly done your part. Now it's time for me to do mine and, and present this this podcast with a with a level of consistency that you all deserve. I Again, I, I really appreciate all the kind words, the, the email, um, the follows, the likes. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you, you could do that at La Vida Judoka. 
My Instagram is awesome. You can also email the show at judochopsuishow at gmail.com. That is the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, I've, I've mentioned it many times. Shooting me a message on Instagram is the absolute worst way to get a hold of me, especially if you don't follow me. Because if you don't follow me on Instagram, you shoot me a message on Instagram, it sits in that queue for a long time. And I, I, re- I recently responded to a fellow uh, oddly enough, I was talking about this earlier. He's <laughs> saying, you know, have you ever heard of an adult that that does that starts taekwondo? Well, <laughs> I ended up getting a message from a guy that actually did that, and he he had the same type of complaints about taekwondo as as I've been talking about with regards to judo and adults that you know it's primarily viewed as a kid's sport, and when you go to local competitions, he may only have one or two other people to compete with, so. You, you know, that kind of goes back to my other point. But anyway, you know, he it would happen to be an adult that did Taekwondo as a, as a started it as an adult or maybe restarted it. But still just kind of interesting um, how as, as I was talking about that turns out <laughs> I get the one message in my queue, uh, you know, days later after I talk about that subject about a guy. And I didn't even re- I didn't even release this yet. So there I've already been proven wrong. You can follow the show on Facebook. Just search for Judo Chop Suey Show or Judo Chop Suey Podcast. I'm not sure. And if you're brave enough, you can go ahead and friend request me on uh, Instagram. You can do that, but you can also friend request me on Facebook. I will accept it. Uh, Just make sure if we don't have mutual friends, just shoot me a message and say, hey, you know, I, I listen to you on the podcast because if you don't, I will not accept the friend request because I get I get a lot of friend requests from people that I, I don't I don't know, you know, probably Russian bots or, or things like that. No offense to Russia or anything. Russians are great people. I, I've I've known a few in my life. But unfortunately, uh, Mother Russia has a has a uh, a, uh, a a bad reputation when it comes to fakes and bots and stuff like that. We've got at my work, we've got this uh, this application that's up and it shows. Uh, I don't know why we have it, up, but it's up on a huge TV. It shows all the like the the attempts at hacking and stuff going on around the world. And you know the funny thing is, is that we all talk about Russian bots and trolls and and hackers and things like that. But when I when I look at this map of the world on on the TV, it looks like war games. Have you ever seen that that movie from from like 1984? It looks like war games in a sense that you see Russia and the USA constantly attacking each other and other countries. Uh, it, it's it's kind of cool. I can't remember the name of the site. If I remember, I'll. Uh, uh, maybe I'll put it in the show notes, oh, which, by the way, I, if you've gotten this far, you you probably already ignored the show notes. But maybe, you know, in the future, I got to remind you guys, read the show notes, because if you want to skip around to different subjects and topics and things like that, very important. If you're a new listener, if you made it this far um, and you're saying to yourself, gosh, I wish he had show notes. Well, I do have show notes and just go. Just just wherever you listen to this podcast, I will always put in detailed show notes about the timestamps on when I'm talking about what. And that way, if you just want to hear the beginning and the end and just skip all the good stuff or me ranting and raving, you can do that. So with that, I'm going to end things here. I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. Oh.